Chapter Forty Two of April's Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. April's Lady by Margaret Wolfe Hungerford. Chapter Forty Two. It's we two. It's we two. It's we two for a, all the world and we two and heaven be our stay, like a lava rock in the lift. Sing, O bonnie bride, all the world was Adam once with Eve by his side. The light in her eyes is angelic. She has laid her hands upon both her husband's arms, as if expecting him to take her into them as he always does only too gladly on the smallest provocation. Just now, however, he fails her, for the moment only, however. Barbara, says he, in a choked voice, he holds her from him, examining her face critically. His thoughts are painful yet proud, proud beyond telling. His examination does not last long. There is nothing but good to be read in that fair, sweet, lovable face. He gathers her to him with a force that is almost hurtful. Are you a woman at all, or just an angel? says he with a deep sigh. What is it, Freddy? After all they have done to you, their insults, coldness, abominable conduct, to think that your first thought should be for them. Why, look here, Barbara, vehemently, they are not worthy that you should tut, interrupts she, lightly, yet with a little sob in her throat. His praise is so sweet to her. You overrate me. Is it for them I would do it or for you? There, take all the thought for yourself, and besides, are not you and I one? and shall not your people be my people come if you think of it there is no such great merit after all you forget no not a word against them i won't listen thrusting her fingers into her ears it is all over and done with long ago and it is our turn now and let us do things decently and in order and create no heart-burnings but when I think, if thinking makes you look like that, don't think. But I must, I must remember how they scorned and slighted you. It never seems to have come home to me so vividly as now, now when you seem to have forgotten it. Oh, Barbara, he presses back her head and looks long and tenderly into her eyes. I was not mistaken, indeed, when I gave you my heart. Surely you are one among ten thousand. Silly boy, says she, with a little tremendous laugh, glad to her very soul's centre, however, because of his words. What is there to praise me for? Have I not warned you that I am purely selfish? What is there I would not do for very love of you? Come, Freddy, shaking herself loose from him, and laughing now with honest delight let us be reasonable oh poor uncle it seems hateful to rejoice thus over his death 
but his memory is really only a shadow after all and i suppose he meant to make us happy by his gift eh freddy yes how well he remembered during all these years he could have formed no other ties none naturally short pause there is that black mare of mike donovan's freddy that you so fancied you can buy it now monkton laughs involuntarily something of the child has always lingered about barbara and i should like to get a black velvet gown says she her face brightening and to buy joyce a oh but joyce will be rich herself yes i'm really afraid you will be done out of the joy of overloading joyce with gifts she'll be able to give you something that will be a change at all events as for the velvet gown if this touching the letter bears any meaning i should think you need not confine yourself to one velvet gown and there's tommy says she quickly her thoughts running so fast that she scarcely hears them you have always said you wanted to put him in the army now you can do it yes says monkton with sudden interest i should like that but you you shrank from the thought didn't you well he might have to go to india says she nervously and what of that oh nothing that is nothing really only there are lions and tigers there freddy aren't there now one or two says mr monkton if we are to believe travellers tales but they are all proverbially false i don't believe in lions at all myself i'm sure they are miss well let him go into the navy then lions and tigers don't as a rule inhabit the great deep oh no but sharks do says she with a visible shudder no no on the whole i had rather trust him to the beasts of the field he could run away from them but you can't run in the sea true says mr monkton with exemplary gravity i couldn't at all events monkton had to run across to london about the extraordinary legacy left to his wife and joyce but further investigation proved the story true the money was indeed there and they were the only heirs from being distinctly poor they rose to the height of a very respectable income and monkton being in town where the old monktons still were also was commanded by his wife to go to them and pay off their largest liabilities debt contracted by their dead son and to so arrange that they should not be at the necessity of leaving themselves houseless the manchester people who had taken the old place in warwickshire were now informed that they could not have it beyond the term agreed on but about this the, the old people had something to say too they would not take back the family place they had but one son now and the sooner he went to live there the better lady monkton completely broken down and melted by barbara's generosity went so far as to send her a long letter telling her it would be the dearest wish of her and sir george's hearts 
that she should preside as mistress over the beautiful old homestead, and that it would give them great happiness to imagine the children, the grandchildren, running riot through the big wainscoted rooms. Barbara was not to wait for her. Lady Monkton's death to take up her position as head of the house. She was to go to Warwickshire at once, the moment those detestable Manchester people were out of it, and Lady Monkton, if Barbara would be so good as to make her welcome, would like to come to her for three months every year, to see the children and her son and her daughter. The last was the crowning touch. For the rest, Barbara was not to hesitate about accepting the Warwickshire place, as Lady Monkton and Sir George were devoted to town life, and never felt quite well when away from smoky London. This last was true. As a fact, the old people were thoroughly imbued with the desire for the turmoil of city life, and the three months of country Lady Monkton had stipulated for were quite as much as they desired of rustic felicity. Barbara accepted the gift of the old home. Eventually, of course, it would be hers, but she knew the old people meant the present of giving it a sort of return for her liberality, for the generosity that had enabled them to once more lift their heads among their equals. The great news had spread like wildfire through the Irish country where the Frederick Monktons lived. Lady Baltimore was unfeigningly glad about it, and came down at once to embrace Barbara, and say all sorts of delightful things about it. The excitement of the whole affair seemed to dissipate all the sadness and depression that had followed on the death of the elder son and nothing now was talked of but the great good luck that had fallen into the paths of Barbara and Joyce. The poor old uncle had been considered dead for so many years previously, and was indeed such a dim memory to his nieces that it would have been the purest affection to pretend to feel any deep grief for his demise. Perhaps what grieved Barbara most of all though she said very little about it, was the idea of having to leave the old house in which they were now living. It did not cheer her to think of the place in Warwickshire, which, of course, was beautiful and full of possibilities. This foolish old Irish home, rich in discomforts, was home. It seemed hard to abandon it. It was not a palatial mansion, certainly, it was even dismal in many ways, but it contained more love in its little space than many a noble mansion could boast. It seemed cruel, ungrateful, to cast it behind her, once it was possible to mount a few steps on the rungs of the worldly ladder. How happy they had all been here together, in the foolish old house, that every severe storm seemed to threaten with final dissolution. It gave her many a secret pang to think that she must part from it forever before another year should dawn. End of chapter 42 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, 
B.C.